Welcome to Invest the Money, a production of Foster & Associates Financial Services, Inc., brought to you by your hosts, Philip Marion and David Winnell. Invest the Money is a podcast where, with the help of our guests, we explore investment options outside the traditional stocks, bonds, and ETFs that make up the core of most portfolios. Disclaimer, none of our discussions should be considered a recommendation to purchase any particular product, security, fund, or ETF and all content should be considered for information purposes only. Before making any investment decision, our listeners are strongly encouraged to seek the counsel of a qualified investment advisor to make sure the investment is suitable for you. Now on to the show. Welcome everybody. On our next segment, we've got Mark Bardsley, who is the managing partner and co-founder of UIT Growth Equity. Uh, as I mentioned at the end of our last segment, we'd be discussing private equity. So here we are. And here's Mark. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dave and Phil. Right, right off the bat, what, what's the difference between growth equity and private equity? So growth equity is really, I look at it as a segment of the private equity market. Private equity, where you could be with a with a buyout buyout fund that invests in invests in different companies and takes them private to you know to to M and A activity that you that you see out there. Our segment being the growth equity segment, we target companies uh, that are still private uh, after their venture capital life, you know, revenue generating uh, companies that are about three years away from a liquidity event uh, that really have uh, brought in a lot of money for their growth space versus venture. So late, late stages of being private, pre-IPO, pre-going public. Correct. That would, that, that would be correct. Yes. So basically investors over time, they've, they've really, from a retail perspective, we haven't had they haven't had access to private equity. So the, uh, maybe go through that, why people haven't had access to private equity and how they have it now. So, you know, private equity in the past has been very much an institutional uh, class. If you want to even back up a little bit more and what we looked at and why we identified the growth equity market was looking at these venture-backed companies. Uh, they've really been staying private longer, uh, where you typically see a venture-backed company go public within four or five years uh, after the, you know, the first investment. And a good example of that would be Amazon. Amazon was private for about five years before it went public, and it went public at about a $600 million market cap, and then that market cap grew to what we saw a trillion dollars today. So most of the upside of Amazon was really made in the public market. Now, if we fast forward and compare that to a Spotify, you know, Spotify went uh, public at in, in the you know tens of billions of dollars, and all that money was made in the private market and not much was made when it came public afterwards. So really the growth is being eaten up there. Also, we look at uh, we look at the New York Stock Exchange, for example. You know, 10 years ago, there was twice as many listings on the New York Stock Exchange. So, so it's becoming much more difficult, you know, to to diversify a portfolio, I guess, on the on the stock exchange with not as many listings because these companies are either staying private longer, they're being bought, or they're merging with another company. So yeah, back in the day, like a Microsoft or Yahoo, they were going public right away. Uh, why are the companies staying private longer? Well, that's a great question. What we're seeing today is is after five or six years, you're seeing companies that that are driving great revenue, uh, and then 
and then you see the growth equity investors stepping in. So whether there's a Fidelity Investments, a T. Rowe Price, a, uh, a Wellington Investments, and, and then also some of the bigger players out there, like a Canadian Pension Plan uh, and Omers, they're coming in and they're saying, you know what? You, you got some great growth trajectory. We like what you're doing. You know, instead of going public, here's $100 million. Stay private longer and really let's eat that growth up. And then we'll go public at a later date. I also think, personally on my, my, my opinion, is you've got the, the mutual fund companies who, have to, who are competing against ETFs uh, and how are they going to add value uh, or outperform ETF is they're going into these companies and saying, okay, here's $100 million, stay private longer. They're going to have outperformance compared to uh, what would be a regular ETF that you may be buying. Because when that company goes public, they've gotten more of, uh, picked up more of the returns or the alpha. Once they go public, that's when you start to see not as much on the, the institutions are already in there. The other institutions will have to buy, but then the retail investors, unfortunately, are kind of coming in much later after that growth has been eaten up. So can you, can you talk a bit about the risk in terms of, from an investor perspective, in, investing in a, in a publicly traded company, you know, the, they're putting out quarterly reports, they're putting out news releases you know, every few days, every few weeks. There, there's a lot of access to information. So investing privately, you, you don't get that as an investor. How, how do you overcome that risk? Great question again. So on that, uh, when, when it comes to uh, investing in private companies, you know there's there's access to data rooms that you can get, and then there's also getting on cap table uh, and and getting information rights. So you have a lot of uh, that's why you don't see as many individual or retail investors really investing inside of a private equity company where you have to have you know significant amount of AUM. And when you say AUM, that's Sorry. asset under management. Yeah, just basically capital invested. Correct. Yeah. Correct. You have to you usually have to be able to come in and write a very big check in order to get that to get that investment, get that access to the data room. So UIT, the UIT Growth Equity Series, you know, the companies that we look at, we we make sure that we do get access to data room. We do do our homework on the companies. It's not as much you know, chasing a hot name, but it's more getting a better understanding of the company that we are investing in and the space that we're investing in. You're not you're not chasing hot names, but a lot of the companies you've done deals with are huge companies and, and household brands. Correct. Absolutely. And we try to get in, you know, at that mark that's more than a couple of years before they go public into that growth equity, growth equity name. And the reason they are household names, they tend to be Technology, Silicon Valley companies, or, or New York or Boston that we see now, we, they, those companies that, that have been around for eight, nine years. Uh, so they've gone out and they've got, you know, hundred million, hundred million in revenue plus, you know, tens of millions of users or people who have signed up. So some of the names are, are, are pretty interesting names. Some, though, on the other hand, you know, they may not be in here in Canada. So it's kind of a new idea uh, to Canadians. So you, you mentioned a minute ago the number of listings on the NYSE is has been cut in half. Are, are the regulators doing anything to improve access for investors to these private opportunities? Because they, they are still fairly limited in terms of being only available to accredited investors and there's a lot of paperwork and due diligence that the advisor and the investor need to be doing. It's, it's not as easy as just clicking and buying a stock. It's Correct. Out I, there. I think you've seen in Canada some of the regulations change in different provinces to changing the what the accreditor investor 
is. So whether that, you know, they, they brought that number down, what, you know, how much you have to earn. So typically accredited would be 200,000 of income for one sole earner, 300 combined in a household. What, did, what number did it get reduced to? That's a good question. I don't have that paperwork in front of me, but I know different provinces. Uh, They're all different. I think they, I think Ontario is around 75,000. I still go off the old accredited rules. Like I still qualify on that basis. I don't know how much it's, but I see it coming. But. Yeah. I saw, I think BC changed recently and maybe Alberta. Again, you'd have to kind of dig in and look at that. Also, we're seeing in the U.S., which I think is interesting, start talking about, you know, direct listings versus your traditional IPO. You know, they're, they're trying to change some of those rules on the direct listing. So what is a direct listing? Uh, is a, uh, is a Spotify was a direct listing, for example. That is when the company goes, they don't raise any money, and they basically just start trading on the exchange, you know, the very next day. And there's none of the shares that, that would be locked up like a traditional IPO. In a traditional IPO, you know, maybe they'll only float 10% of the shares of the company, and they'll raise with that 10% of shares, maybe they'll raise $500 million. And then there's still a lockup for employee shares, you know, uh, venture shares, or, or any growth equity shares that are in there. And, and, th- and those are the shares that the UIT growth equity funds are, are buying? Correct. So what we've discovered uh, in, in this whole, the, the, the market of growth equity in the secondary market is it's, a, it's an inefficient marketplace. When we go out there and we look, and when I say inefficient, the reason it's inefficient is because the companies are staying private longer. You've got employees, you know, who may be living in San Francisco. You know, they've got, uh, they're making $150,000 a year. We've got $10 million worth of stock in X company. And um, and they can't afford to buy a house because San Francisco's gotten so so pricey. So what we have the ability to do is we have the ability to go in because we're buying uh, from early employees, uh, maybe early venture firms, you know, and it's an illiquid market. We're looking at a company and doing doing our homework on it. You know, we'll be able to buy shares at a lower valuation most of the time than what that round was before. So you go, obviously the companies aren't coming directly to UIT growth to say we need money. You're reaching out to these companies saying, do you want to have any liquidity for your early investors? So it will be based on the last round of financing, like hypothetically, uh, you know, one company's raising last round was $10. Well, or you will say, I'm willing to buy at a negotiated price from that last $10 raise. That's a, yeah. That, that is correct. Okay. And, and, we, and, and the, the employees may not be taking all the money off the table. You know, they may be saying, listen, I only need $500,000 because I want to put some money aside to send my kids to university. Or maybe I'm taking a million dollars off the table because I want to buy an apartment. And they still have 90% of their net worth t- tied up inside of that company. So when, when you say it's a very inefficient marketplace for these private securities, Inefficiency often means opportunity for for yourself and and for us and our our clients and investors, but that is is bound to change as as time goes by. Like in in five years, there'll be more participants. Absolutely. Maybe different regulations. Like where where do you see the opportunities? I believe about a hundred billion dollars was traded last year in the secondary markets. So it's a that's a that's it's not a small number. Also, you're starting to see uh, secondary market exchanges come up where we can go and we can sit there and say, okay, we want to invest in Y company. And we can see that they have a seller for that Y company and, and here's what the price is as well. 
So you're starting to see kind of exchanges along those lines uh, popping up, you know, throughout throughout North America. Starting to see a lot more brokers who are who deal in that. And we get calls a decent amount and saying, hey, do you have interest in this com- X company, Y company, or Z company? What is important to us, though? is coming to data room we want to understand that company we want to get to know the management we want to get to know founders uh we want to make sure that we're seeing all the numbers that we can get uh versus just you know kind of uh going out throwing a dart and and, and buying just a name Uh, what are some of the companies you've been involved in Sure. So UIT uh, Growth Equity uh, have, have done a couple of companies. You know, some that we really like is a company called Rent the Runway, which is, uh, you know, it's a it's a company that sits in the wonderful world of sustainability. I learned a lot about uh, about closets. Rent the Runway is a is a it's only in the U.S. New York based company uh, founded by Jennifer and Jenny. They were at Harvard Business School, and Jen was visiting her sister. Her sister, you know, was upset because she had nothing to wear. And when Jennifer opened the closet, you know, she had a ton of ton of different dresses. And she said, "Well, why, you know, why can't you wear this?" And she said, "Well, I've already been, I've had a picture on Instagram, I've had a picture on Facebook with it." And I think that was a bit of an aha moment for them. And said, "Wow, well, what can we do? Why, why do we have to go out and buy these clothes when we can rent them? We can rent the closet." So basically, uh, rent the runways, a closet in the cloud. They are, you know, would be the biggest dry cleaner in the world. Probably have about a million different items. Based in Manhattan, they probably uh, shipped to most of the zip codes all over the U.S. They got some closets or brick and mortar closets in multiple different cities, and it gives the opportunity for for somebody to be able to uh, pick up an app, hit uh, hit a couple buttons, and the next day a new blouse will be at their at their house. They can wear it out to an event, and they can put it back in an envelope and send it back to rent the runway. Um, what we really like about them is they have a subscription model. Uh, where they offer three different subscriptions from Unlimited, where you can have four articles of clothing or five articles of clothing, and you can turn that over as many times as possible. Or you can do a la carte, where you want to rent a gown to go to a wedding. Anyway, we're, we're very big fans uh, of Rent the Runway, so that's been a good one for us. 23andMe is another company that we, we definitely like. We looked at that, and that was a, a human genome. You can kind of do your ancestry test. So looking at that compared to Ancestry.com, what we liked on, um, on, on 23andMe is the fact that uh, you can get FDA-approved different, uh, you know, different studies that are done. Also, uh, 80% of the users opt in to let them use their DNA in order to study and, and develop drugs. So we really see that company maybe one day morphing into a pharmaceutical company. Do they have, uh, they've identified multiple compounds that, that could easily be turned into a drug. If you've probably recently seen some news that they have licensed out uh, one of their drugs with a, with a Spanish pharmaceutical company, that they're gonna try to develop together one of the compounds. Uh, as well as in partnership with GSK, they have one. So we like that. We've got another uh, great company we, we liked, which was DraftKings. DraftKings has been a big win for us. And what we liked about that was the fact that we saw a PASPA overturned, or which the Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act was overturned by the Supreme Court in the U.S., and as we all know, you know, U.S. states definitely need some money. Americans definitely like to bet on their uh, their football teams and their their college basketball teams. So you're seeing a lot of a lot of states legalizing sports betting, and that has uh, you know that has turned into the the fact that DraftKings has a lot of people who are doing daily fantasy, and they're being able to morph a lot of those users over to their sports book. And we're a big fan. They've got a very very strong management team, and they've been around for a long time. 
Um, there's another company called Carbon that's really uh, Carbon 3D, really the only 3D printing space that's been able to scale. We're, we're a very big fan of that company as well. Again, an extremely strong management team. You know, they're disrupting uh, an industry that hasn't changed in, in hundreds of years. We see good things happening along those lines. So what are the characteristics to like these companies? Revenue growth type thing? What's What are the... What are the factors? They, all the companies have significant revenue that we look at. They're all growing with uh, an internal rate of return, you know, well above 40% uh, a year. They all have a focus on profitability. I think that's what's been important to us uh, for a long time. So we don't see, you know, massive burns of cash. They all sit there and say, okay, here's our here's here's our road to profitability. Here's how we're gonna here's how we're gonna hit that. They all are venture back. They're all close to 10 years old, if not if not older. And they, uh, they have some, some serious partners in there who, who are much smarter than us uh, when it comes to the growth equity investors. So we're sitting next to a Fidelity. Uh, unfortunate enough, we're getting a better execution. We're able to buy shares maybe a little bit cheaper than a Fidelity or T. Rowe Price or Wellington uh, or, or along those lines. So, you know, that's, uh, that's very important to us when we're looking at these companies. And you, you've got pretty direct access to the executives at the companies you're investing in as well. That's important to make sure that we have some access or have, have had conversations with them. Yep. Absolutely. When, when investing. All right. Great. I think that sums up our interview. Thank you, Mark. I and mean, just a reminder, Mark and UIT, they provide access to private equity to advisors and investors that normally wouldn't have access because of the institutional size. That was a great discussion. For more information about private equity opportunities, please do not hesitate to reach out to David or myself. And also make sure to check out UIT Growth's website at uitfunds.com. So that's the show. Thanks everyone for listening. Today's episode of Invest the Money has been brought to you by the fine people here at Foster & Associates, where innovation and independence drive great client outcomes. Check us out at www.fostergroup.ca. If you want to reach out to me, the host, David Winnell, you can reach me at D-W-I-N-N-E-L-L at fostergroup.ca or Phil Marion is P-M-A-R-I-O-N at fostergroup.ca.